First Peter chapter 4 and the first six verses. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. When I was back in South Africa 13 years ago, we lived there, we always used to chuckle at some of the people from European countries who used to visit Africa because they were very much locked in their schedules, their timetables. And any of you who have been to Africa or even some of the... the um, Fijian Islands, because up in uh, Auckland they speak to me about this as well. You'll, you'll have heard about African time or island time. And you know, in African and island time, you don't work to a schedule by minutes. You work to it by like half a day or a day. And so these tourists used to come and be waiting there, impatiently tapping their watches, and the bus would pitch when it pitched. And they used to get extremely agitated and extremely confused about things. And it's just actually quite funny. But you know, there's a truth in that too for us as believers. Sometimes in our attitude towards our lives and the rest of our time here on earth, we suffer a bit from the African time syndrome. A bit of the she'll be right approach. Not just to our lives, but to going through hard times on this world too. And this passage this morning, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, is a call from the Apostle to a disciplined and a Christ-like approach to our lives. In chapter 3, verse 18, if you just want to flick back there, our theme in that whole chapter was our willingness to suffer, if God wills it, as a witness to the watching world, and to suffer as Christ did, to have His attitude. And now in chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, the theme is still suffering and our willingness to suffer if God wants us to do that, but as a witness by our avoiding to sin while we are suffering and doing that as Jesus did. Jesus didn't sin even while he was suffering. You see, we've got to ask ourselves the question today, with what attitude... Did Christ suffer in the flesh while well, he was tortured and he died? And that was his suffering in the flesh. But his main purpose was to do his Father's will and to bring God glory. That was why Christ died the way he did. In Gethsemane, Luke chapter 22 verse 42, when Jesus sweat great drops of blood, 
he sweat great drops of blood, not because he knew the cross was waiting for him, but he knew that he was going to be separated from his father. He knew that he was going to carry the whole weight of the world. And he didn't try and sidestep what he knew was lying ahead. He didn't try and get out of it. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus wanted to glorify his Father, and this is the Trinity now, even while he was suffering. So what can we learn today from these six verses about facing hard times and doing them in such a way that God is glorified? Well, I believe the Apostle Peter says to us firstly, from verse 1, he says to us, arm yourselves. This is military language he's using again, and he's done this before. When things are important, he'll call us back to a military mentality. He's using language here which means war. He's saying literally arm yourselves with this weapon. And we're going to look at this weapon we're to arm ourselves with. But when he uses the word arm, it's the, the specific Greek word used to say put on the heavy armament. Not the light armament for light duties. And they, they used to wear a light tunic with a bit of leather hanging down and a small light shield and a small sword. But he's saying, no, I want you to put on the heavy armament. You're going into real battle. It's the big battle um, helmet that you're putting on your head. And they had a big battle shield and a long, heavy spear called a pike. He's saying, put that on. It's heavy armament. Arm yourselves. This is war. This is no time to whimper. This is time to attack. When you come under suffering, it is a time to attack. What are we going to attack? We'll come to that. He's saying, arm yourselves. What is this weapon we are to arm ourselves with? Well, he carries on in verse 1. He says, arm yourselves with the same purpose as Christ. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, the same thoughts that Christ had. You see, this is our most powerful weapon when we come up against suffering. It is a God-given purpose that God has given to us. And we are to make sure that our minds are set around that purpose that Christ has put us here on earth for. He has put us on this earth for glorifying Him, whatever may come across our way. That is the weapon we are to use. It is the purpose Christ has put in us. That will determine our actions. You see, if you don't know your mindset, if you are not purposeful in what you are doing for the Lord, that will also determine your actions. That is when you will so easily fall over during hard times. But if you are armed for heavy battle and you have the purpose of the Lord in you to glorify Him, then it doesn't matter what comes across your way, you will still glorify the Lord. We see that in Christ. What did Christ show us? He deliberately, says Luke chapter 9, 51, He deliberately set His face towards the cross. He deliberately set His face towards the cross. In other words, He was determined to go to Jerusalem. He knew what was lying there. He knew all the wider ramifications that we as human beings could never understand about being separated from His Father. He knew, but He set His face to Jerusalem. There was purpose in what He was doing. He knew it was His Father's will. He wanted to bring glory to His Father. And that, as a human being, must have involved such resolution, such determination and such personal responsibility as Christ turned his face to that city. He wasn't trying to avoid suffering 
and he wasn't going to take a shortcut. I wonder if you and I had to carry that same past, how we would have gone. I don't know if I would have done the same. I know I wouldn't have actually. The Apostle Peter says in verse 1, we are to have the same way of thinking, the same purpose as Christ about our obedience to God and about enduring suffering, if God wills it. And that is to glorify God. That is our main purpose. And we need to bring that to mind. You see, previously in the passage we were looking at, we were told in chapter 3 to be Christ-centered. We are to have Christ as number one in our lives. And then all these other things that come across us won't get in the way of our thinking. But if Christ is number one in our lives, then we will be purposeful in what we do on this earth. We will be purposeful in whatever comes across our way if Christ is in the middle of our minds. But if we're not, we'll tend to go moralistic or keeping to little rules in our lives. And that's not what God calls us to. He's not saying keep to the little rules. He's saying center Christ as number one in your lives and then you will be purposeful in your life. Then you will bring glory to God. Secondly, the Apostle says in verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Secondly, he says to us, break from sin. So arm yourselves with purpose, the same purpose as Christ. The second command to us is break with sin. What is the result of this purpose? to please God in our lives. Well, the Apostle says it helps us to overcome sin in our lives and to live for God. And he says, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now there's two parallel meanings over here and they both are relevant. To have suffered in the flesh as Jesus did means to also die to the flesh. And if we as believers have died to the flesh, then we will cease from sin. If we haven't died to the flesh, we will not cease from sin. But it also means that when we go through times of suffering, we must cease from sin. Because those are the times we are tempted to sin. And that is why I read that passage from Luke when Jesus was tempted. This word suffering does not mean that those who have suffered don't sin any longer. All right? doesn't mean that. Because many suffer extreme hardships and then continue to sin. Others go through hardship and stop sinning. That's true too. But it doesn't mean that when you've suffered, you will stop sinning. No. It also doesn't mean that suffering will always strengthen and purify people. It does sometimes and it doesn't other times. And in case today, we've heard that. Suffering doesn't always turn us to the Lord. Other times, It makes us rebellious and embittered towards God. That is what suffering does. We've got to look at these words and those phrases in the context of chapter 3, verse 17. So let's just turn there for a minute. What did he say there? He says in chapter 3, verse 17, we're talking about suffering if God wills it. And it's suffering for doing good. For it is better if God should will it that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. So he's talking about suffering that God brings across our way to bring Him glory. Not suffering because of stuff we've done wrong. Alright? That's just the consequence of sin. 
You see, when we suffer for what God wants us to go through, and it's suffering for the good, you will quickly notice that the world will turn against you. If you are obedient to the will of God in your life, you will soon notice that the world will turn against you. They will notice that you are being obedient and they will turn against you. Why? Because you stand out. You see, if you, are dis- if you lead a disobedient life, they won't bother with you because you're just merging with them. But if you stand out because of an obedient life, they will persecute you. And so suffering in a way that glorifies God means that we must make a clear break with sin. Especially during times of suffering, we must come before the Lord and ask Him to keep us from sin because the world is watching us. They are watching to see how we handle hard times. What is our attitude? And when they see that our attitude towards sin is sloppy and we're willing to take shortcuts to kind of get around the hard times, they will come up against us and they will persecute us. We need to cease from sin says the Apostle. What was the attitude of Christ towards sin? When he was tempted to sin, when Satan came and brought him and he, and he said, I like the way Satan says this, all this has been given to me and I'm giving it to you, right. Okay? But he was tempting Jesus to take a shortcut to glory, wasn't he? He was saying, I'll give you all this, you don't need to die, just bow to me and I will give you the glory instantly. Well, that's not how it worked. You see, what did Christ show? He showed a truceless war with Satan and with sin. He wasn't going to make a truce with sin at all. He was tempted by Satan to take the shortcut, but he made short work of the temptation to sin by bringing the Word of God against Satan. And when Satan started using the Word of God, not as he should have, Jesus put him in his place by saying, you do not tempt the Lord your God. And Satan stopped We need to have the same attitude as Christ, says the Apostle. We sin, yes, we do, because we are imperfect human beings, but we are to make war on that sin in us, not to leave it in us. John Piper said, my greatest enemy is John Piper. And that's so true. My greatest enemy is Calvin, because I'm the one who sins, and I need to make war on my sin. You know what we tend to do? We tend to gloss over and make excuses for our own sin to ourselves, don't we? It's just a little white lie. It's just a small little sin. Think of it in this way. If a vicious criminal came into your house, he had a knife and he stabbed one of your children, would you take that knife and then put it in a glass case in your house for all to see? Would we do that? Of course not. We'd get rid of it. The police would take it. We'd get rid of it. So why do we do the same with sin? Why do we not get rid of it in our lives? Why do we allow it to stay in our lives? And why do we sometimes, because it's too hard for us, why why do we sometimes just leave those too hard sins in our lives and not deal with them? In a way, we're putting them in a glass case in our lives. The Apostle says, deal with sin. Be purposeful in your purpose for the Lord. Deal with it. Why is that, verse 2 says, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. You see, that is the reason we are to deal with our sin. It is because God has put us on this earth. And I've said it so many times. When God makes us believers on this earth, He doesn't take us to heaven straight away. 
There's a purpose he leaves us here for, and that is to be a witness about his um, life in us to the world around us. That's what we are to do. We are to live the rest of our time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. You see, at the moment of conversion, God breaks the power over sin in the individual. So when you, you and I came to the Lord, sin no longer had a hold over us. God broke that. He was victorious. He said, it is finished on the cross. And we saw that the last time we looked at chapter 3, the end of But you know, it doesn't stop there. There's a daily commitment that we have to come to before the Lord. We need to daily convert from our sin before Him. We need to deal with it. It's a moment-by-moment conversion that we're talking about here. Not in your position before Christ, but because of your sin before Christ. A moment-by-moment dealing with it. We also need to be victorious over our sin because Christ has been victorious. Is that going to come easily? No. That's why we're given it this in a command form. The Apostle says to us, get rid of it in your lives. Have the purpose of Christ in you. It's a command form to us. Because he knows it's not going to come easily to us. You see, there's only two ways of living before the Lord. And the Bible describes it here in verse 2. And if you're an unbeliever here today, ask yourself, which one of these am I fulfilling? You're, You're either living for the lusts of men or for the will of God. I don't see any third option. There is no middle road here. And as a believer, if you are still living for the lusts of men, you need to bring those before the Lord and bring that sin and take it out of that glass case and deal with it before the Lord so that Christ can once again be the center of your life and not that sin. There's a great little book called Respectable Sins and I've mentioned it so many times. I wish I had the money to buy each of you a copy, but I've done it, right? Respectable Sins, a fantastic book. And what it does is it challenges you and I on those, those things that we think are, oh, they don't matter so much before the Lord. It's those, I haven't murdered anyone, have I? No. Well, what other sin have I got in my life? You see, before the Lord, sin equals sin. God is a holy God. It doesn't matter what the size of that sin is, it is sin to Him. He is completely, 100% holy. He cannot bear sin in front of Him. And so we need to deal with it as believers. And if you're an unbeliever here today, the only way you can deal with that sin is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and let Him do that life-changing work in you and give you new life in Him. And then He will take your sin away. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it through good works at all. Only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, the Apostle says to us in verse 3, For the time already is past, Sorry, for the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drunken parties, and abominable idolatries. What's he saying there to us? He's saying to us, give no more time for sin. Give no more time to sin at all in your life. The time already past is sufficient. In other words, to put it in our local language, that's enough, says the Apostle. That's enough. You've done enough damage in the past in your BC time, your before Christ time. And he says, you've given that all to to your sins. Now, live before the Lord with purpose. And then he carries on and he describes some of these sins like he needs to. We all know what these sins are. And many of us would have been involved in a lot of these. 
He says, in your course of sensuality, that is giving in to all your wants. If I want it, I'll get it. That's a sin before the Lord. He calls us to disciplined life before Him. You can't just give in to every want we have in this life. And it doesn't just mean sexual sins. It means all wants in my life. The bigger toys, everything. I'm speaking to myself. He speaks about the lusts. That's just moral restraints. Not again, not again just, se- just sexual ones, but any moral restraints. He says you've given yourself over to drunkenness. And it's a real interesting word he uses here in the original. That word says one who is soaked to overflowing with wine. Can you see the picture? A- an old soak bag. You know, some of us might have come from there. We were so deep in this that we didn't know daylight from night because we were so soaked in wine and other things. And it's not just wine, but it's those habits that we have. I think specifically of our New Zealand binge drinking culture, which is so prevalent among the youth, and not just the youth actually, it's gone up as well. He's not just talking about drinking either, but those things in life that dull the senses. Anything that dulls our senses or that dazzle our eyes, we were involved in those things before we got to know the Lord. In your carousing, says the Apostle, and he's speaking here about festivities in honour of gods, specifically the god Bacchus, who was the god of wine in the Roman culture. But it's widened that. It's when those festivities end up and overflow into the streets. He says, some of you are involved in those. You carouse down the streets. I think specifically here of the Rio Carnival that takes place every year. You just need to go and look at photographs. I started and I stopped. All right, Look at photographs of what happens there. That's what he's describing over here. He's talking about drinking parties. He says that specifically here in, in Scripture. Those large organized events that come up on Facebook and you decide, oh, it won't be so bad, I'll just go join with my friends, young people. God speaks about it. Those abominable idolatries. Think about our Auckland Hero Parade that happens every year in this country. And the Lord is merciful to us still. We are still breathing. We've still got a population in this country. And yet we go on flaunting these things before the Lord. He says, you used to be part of that as Christians. Now. You used, that used to be in your, in your life. But now you've got rid of those. You see, there's a warning here to us. As Christians, do we still participate in any of those things? The Apostle says to us, give no more time to sin. We are on urgent business here. We are on, in war. You've got your large war helmet on and your big shield and your big spear. You are in a war situation. You cannot afford to give yourself to any more of this. Those of you who've been out in the night sky and you want to kind of have a look around it takes a little while, but not too long, and then you kind of get your night vision. Yep, and then you can start finding your way around without stumbling around too much. Well, that's exactly what happens in, with sin in our lives. It doesn't take long for us to get accustomed to sin. That's what the Apostle's warning against. Don't let it feature in your life at all. Deal to it. Give no more time to it, because you will very quickly get accustomed to sin in your life. But that's not all, he says, He carries on in verse 4 and 5. And I'm going to read that. He says, In all this, they, that is those who are involved in all this drunkenness, carousing, etc., they are surprised that you, as a believer, do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, here's a warning to us. 
God says to you and I as believers, don't run with them. Don't run with them. And that will surprise them. And that's the testimony that God calls us to before the world. When you say, no, I'm not going to participate in your excesses of dissipation, as the Bible calls it, that uncontrolled indulgence in the seeking of pleasure, that, headlong, that rushing headlong to destruction. No, I'm not going to participate in that. You know what the world's going to say to you? What's wrong with you? They're going to be surprised. Scripture tells us. They'll be surprised. But that surprise is going to change to something else soon. When you do not participate, then that is quickly going to, says Scripture, turn to, they will malign you. In other words, they will come up against you and slander you. Now, someone was telling me this past week, he just said grace, he had his meal with him at work, and he was sitting with the guys that were um, busy working on a construction site, and he just said grace for his meal. And someone next to him noticed him and said to him, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I was just saying thank you for this food. Oh, he says, you're not one of those, he says. Come on, what's wrong with you? He used those words. What's wrong with you? And then he started saying, and, and mocking this man, he was saying, oh, God, bless this tree. God, bless this house. God, bless this. He was mocking. That's exactly what the apostle says here. They will be surprised. They will say, what's wrong? And then they will start to turn against you. And you will suffer for your faith. And that's what the Apostle is bringing to our attention. And he says, don't give in to that pressure. Don't run with them. Be prepared to count the cost for Christ, is what he's saying. And yes, you, you may lose friends. And yes, you may lose those acquaintances that are so dear to you. But if you hold Christ at center of your heart, he is the one to be your first love, isn't he? And he's saying to us, be purposeful in your refusal to participate with them. Because, he says, and here's the warning, their end is already worked out for them. And there it is in verse 5. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You see, God, and the word he uses there is, they will give account to him who is ready. That word is poised. He is ready to judge. God is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, there will be no more time to turn from these things. It will be over. Do you see the urgency here? You see, all unbelievers, and if you're not a believer here today, again, this warning comes to you. All unbelievers, that is those still alive, or those who are now dead already, will stand before God to give an account of their lives. There will be no escape. All will stand. And this is the apostles warning to us as believers. Don't join in with them. You know what's going to happen with them. You be purposeful for Christ. And it will cost you. And then lastly, he says in verse 6, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. So he's saying to us here, live to God. To quote John Piper, live your life to God. Be purposeful in your living to God. Now, there's a little bit of confusion about that little phrase there, those who are dead. You see, in the earliest church, those Christians in Asia Minor believed that Christ would return in their very lifetime. And when, when, start, when Christians started dying and Christ hadn't returned yet, they started wavering in their faith because they were as yet untaught in the Scriptures. And the unbelievers around them noticed this and they started mocking them and saying to them, you see, these Christians that have died, that's just proof. 
that Christians don't have eternal life. These people have died. And so the Christians started wavering in their faith. And the Apostle Paul specifically addresses that, and we're not going to do that this morning, you'll be relieved to know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. If you want to go and see what the Apostle says about that, go and look at that passage. However, says the Apostle, that gospel which was intended to save people... Um, sorry, I'm going to say that again. That gospel that was preached was never intended to save people from physical death. We, as Christians, don't preach that when you come to Christ, you won't die. We don't say that because Christians die around us. I buried my father-in-law. Christians die around us. But that same gospel is meant to bring us from death to life, says the Apostle. We are to live in the spiritual realm according to the will of God. You see, as believers, that is to be our standard. It's not about death in this life. It's about the life to come. It is about everlasting life. That is the purpose we are to have it before us. That is the standard that Christ calls us to. His word and the purpose He's given to us in His word. That is what's to be at the forefront of our minds. And so in conclusion this morning, I want to ask you a few questions and evaluate these before the Lord. Take your heart before Him now and ask Him, where do I stand before you, Lord? Here are the questions. Are you living the rest of your time on this earth, as the Apostle says, to God? Where are your priorities? Where do you spend most of your time? What is most of your effort put into? That will quickly tell you what you're doing with your time on this earth. He's speaking here to young people, to middle-aged people, to old people. Young people, you might have come to the Lord early in your life. What are you doing with the rest of your life? Are you trying to follow a career or, or have you put that to God first and said, God, I want to serve you first. What do you want me to do, Lord, with the rest of my time on this earth? And those of you who are a bit older and maybe on pension, that doesn't mean you can go into neutral gear. You still have a time on this earth. You still need to have purpose in your lives. You still can serve the Lord with your life. What are you doing for the Lord? Are you coasting? Secondly, the Apostle brings up a question. Instead of a militant attitude to sin, are you gradually getting used to sin in your life by ignoring it? Those small sins. Remember, sin equals sin to the Lord. It doesn't matter how big it is or small it is. Are you getting used to sin in your life by just ignoring it? It will grow in you. Thirdly, are you preserving sin? There's a difference there. There are some sins that we don't want to let go of. Are we preserving some specific sins in us that Christ has already died for? He is victorious over all that. Are you and I victorious? Have we got the same purpose that Christ had? Romans 6 verse 2 says it this way, How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Is there a specific sin that you are holding on to this, this morning that you need to bring before the Lord? Take out of that glass case and say, Lord, I need to give you this as well. I no longer can hold on to this. Next question. As you go through struggles, are you trusting God or are you tempted to take spiritual shortcuts and so take compromises to get out of that hard situation? You see, spiritual compromise before the Lord is sin. 
If God calls us to suffer for Him, though we've done good, and even for doing good, we need to go through that with the Lord. Don't try and sidestep it. God will bring us back into that situation until we learn that lesson. God wants us to be a witness for Him to the world. So trust in the Lord when you go through hard times. Don't compromise. And then lastly, have you taken a clear stand for Christ and the standards He calls you to before your unbelieving friends and before your unbelieving family? Have you taken a stand for Christ? Do they know that you are a believer, that you will not compromise on your beliefs? Or are you tempted to run with them and so blend in with them when the going gets tough? and bring dishonor to God's name? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Have you taken a clear stand for Christ? Do people know that you believe? And so the Apostle calls us to arm ourselves with the same purpose as Christ. Why? Because Christ died to give you and I life, and He's left us on this earth to live lives that show others that they too can have life. Are we fulfilling that mission? Is that purpose in us? Do business with the Lord this week. When you leave this place, don't just say, it's another message gone. It's out of my mind. Do business with the Lord this week. He's brought this passage to us this week for a purpose. I don't know how that applies to you. The Spirit will bring that to bear on you. But do business with the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, You have your own purpose, your own timing in bringing parts of your word to our attention. And Lord, as we've dealt with the whole issue this morning of what do we do during hard times, do we still glorify your name? Do we live purposeful lives before you so that the world can see that we believe? Or are we tempted to take shortcuts and to sin before you? to get out of the hard times. Lord, keep us true to our faith. Keep us true to the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself up for us completely, who took on the sin of the world completely, who was separated from His Father for me. Lord, keep us faithful. Keep us purposeful before You. And Lord, if there are sin if there are sins in our lives that we need to deal with before you, help us to not leave those sins in our lives because they will grow like a cancer in us and they'll get bigger and bigger and after a while they will take over our lives and we will pay the consequences. Lord, help us to deal with those sins when they're small. Keep us pure before you, we pray, so that we can be effective before this world for you because we want to glorify your name. That is why we are here, Lord. We ask that you would be merciful to us. Lord, and as Liana goes into hospital again tomorrow, we just pray for a special blessing on her too. Lord, give Les and Liana peace so that they will know that you are right there with them and that, so that they know that we are praying for them faithfully. And Lord, then help us to be hands and feet, the hands and feet of Jesus to them. Keep us faithful, Lord. Amen.